Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You got a dead body, Inspector. I may be able to help with that. This winter, all your favorite detectives are streaming on BritBox. Don't miss exclusive new seasons of Death in Paradise. There must be something we've missed. Vera. It wasn't an accident, was it, love? Father Brown. What did he look like? And more. Once you start investigating, you won't want to stop. We're done when I say we're done. Stream your favorite detectives only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. You've reached the Murder Between Friends podcast with Sherilyn Dale and Gavin Fish. Please stay on the line. This week's episode starts in 3, 2, 1. Okay. Amy. Hello. Hi. My sister. So- my, my, my North Dakota sister. Oh, I'm so excited to see you guys and to be here and chat tonight. Been way too I'm long. I'm so excited too. It has been so long. We bring up, it, it feels long, but it kind of also doesn't because like it might feel long for you, Amy, but uh, Gavin and I literally, I guarantee every single episode you go back on, we talk about David or us going to Minnesota. We do. Yeah. This has yeah. been so awesome to meet you guys. I mean, I wish something happier had brought us all together because you were just yeah. awesome people. Um, but yeah, it's, I think when you bond and meet someone over like something so deeply personal and sensitive and stuff, like your relationship just becomes like, we just jumped into something like yeah. real and genuine, not none of the fluff stuff. We didn't know any of the fluff <laughs> about each other and we just Never. dove right into like the hardest thing. So I think that's why we just connect so quick. I agree. Yeah, it was it was so good. Yeah. We've been so excited. And um, I, I'll just I'm going to address the elephant in the room for all the listeners, because my voice is obviously not my normal one. So there was no way I was wanting to reschedule this, though, because we have had plans to have this episode for weeks, months, really, it feels like. And it just doesn't come together because of sickness and holidays and all that stuff. So I am so anxious that we finally got it going tonight today whenever people are watching i have to tell you amy remember when we were at the landmark center and there was that music uh museum the musical instrument museum Mm -hmm. i I probably went i spent way too much time in there but they had a piano just there was a broadwood and sons it's the same brand as as our piano it's about the same age anyway every time i go into our music room which sounds like i'm like this really highfalutin guy really it's not not really that big of a deal, but when I go into our music room and I look at our piano, it like, it just whoosh takes me right back to the Landmark Center, everything that we saw there, the place where David and Emily were married, you know, the, just the entire trip. It's just every mm-hmm. time I walk into that oh. particular spot in our house, I think about you guys. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. I still can't even believe that really happened where you guys like flew and came to my hometown, like stayed at my parents' house. Like, yeah, it meant a lot. So, yeah, 
Oh, it was, it was, like you said, it was, it was great. We loved meeting you. We loved talking about it, reflecting on it. We are very anxious to come back. Um, but like you said at the beginning, we just hate the way that it happened. Mm -hmm. You know, I was going to yeah, say, this is the bummer of doing it remotely. Yeah. Yeah. As, <laughs> as February 9th approaches, it'll be five years since David died. Um, Knowing everything that we know now, it almost makes these anniversaries harder because it's like, oh, I know what was happening right now. And, oh, I wish we could have done this or said this or whatever. So, you know, death in general is so hard when you lose someone. But when you lose someone um, the way that David died, it's just kind of hard. So I feel here's an analogy as the 9th approaches. <clears throat> I would say that I feel like I'm in a literal nightmare. I feel like I'm falling towards this glass ceiling that I'm going to break through. And, I, and I'm aware in my nightmare enough to know that I'm going to live crashing through this glass ceiling. Um, but at the same time, you can't escape those terror feelings. And as February 9th approaches five years, I just can't even wrap my head around that it's been that long. Yeah. Because it feels like yesterday, but still so long, right? Yeah, we've just been, yeah, living this for so long. So it's yeah. been a blessing to connect with you guys over the last year. We literally just went public with David's story like a year ago, right. two days ago or something like that. Um, and so we've yeah. all been in touch just within this last year. So it's been another interesting year coming public with all this stuff that we've been quiet about for four years and it's not because we wanted to be quiet but we just were not able to go public with it so it's just been a roller coaster of emotions so i'm a big um anniversary person with like numbers so 5 10 15 like to me those are big things and so yes. the fifth anniversary is just a lot and then this last year like so much has happened but yeah we're still here you know like yes yeah mm -hmm. that's one question that i, I get uh, yeah, you go ahead, Gavin, just for anybody who's not, our, who doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, just a, a brief recap here, okay? David yeah. Elmquist, Amy's little brother, uh, grew up in Minnesota. He married, um, well, after spending some time, let me just, I'm just going to do this real briefly, but after spending some time in North Dakota, out where Amy and her family lives working in the oil fields, he ends up marrying a girl that he knew from the time he they were little. Wouldn't say that they dated or anything, but they knew each other for a long time, right? February 9th, 2018, coming up on five years ago, uh, Emily calls 911. And I, again, Amy, I'm leaving out so many details, but Emily yep, calls okay. 911 and the fire department police respond. And her story is that David has lit himself on fire by dumping crude oil on himself in some kind of, I don't know, um, what would you call Manic it? Like mental episode. breakdown. Yeah, she was trying yeah, to say that. that yeah, that's her story. And then police but were, wouldn't go in for like 40 minutes, something like 30, that, right? 39 minutes. And, and their story was that they thought that he was lying in wait. So what has happened is his death has been um, kind of treated as a suicide, but mm -hmm. the evidence just does not support that. And it feels like the Plymouth PD are covering up their bad response that day. 
Is yeah. that a fair characterization of kind mm -hmm. of 30,000 foot mm -hmm. view of the case? Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's a good way to segue in there um, and also uh, lay out some things too in terms of um, yeah, what was what was being used to the advantage of of delaying going in there, and then um, what happened prior that earlier on in that day that made David's family uh, want to investigate this and not just take this as her word. So, Amy, maybe you want to talk about that last conversation that David had with your parents. Yeah. So on the last day of David's life, which would have been February eighth. He drove home to my parents' house and sat on the couch and was just talking to them. And um, they talked about a lot of different things. Um, but David was very, um, you know, he had spent some time in a hospital for mental health, his first ever um, psychotic break. He had, went into psychosis and spent 10 or 11 days or something like that um, in the hospital. And so he was discharged. And anyways, drove home to my parents' house. And so he was very talking about, you know, future plans and his mental health and all the things. And somehow they got talking just about the stress in his life. And David had gone through a lot within that six months. Um, he quit the job that he loved out here in North Dakota, working on the oil fields, found himself in Minnesota, um, living with his wife and working a job. Yeah, so right hurt. after they got married, they split, like, they didn't, they didn't split, but she stayed in Minnesota. He went to North Dakota, and they were he was traveling back and forth, right? Yeah, he wanted her to so, go out to North Dakota. Yeah, She wanted him to go back to Minnesota. Yep. So they got married. He did not want to quit his six-figure job. Um, so he stayed out in North Dakota working. She went to Minnesota Um and then oil field life is kind of like you work two weeks on, one week off, or whatever. And so during his weeks off, he would go home to be with her. Um, so on the last day of his life, though, you know, he's just talking about all the different stressors in his life. And and he told my parents, he said, I need a divorce. And he was very concerned with how this would affect my parents in our church. You know, we're very conservative. You know, we believe that marriage is for life. Um, it's a you know, covenant and oath you make before God to till death do you part type thing. So he said, mom and dad, like, how would this affect you in the church if I got divorced? And they said, you know, David, like, don't even worry about that. But, you know, marriage is serious. And my mom specifically asked David, how would Emily respond if you went home and talked to her about all these things that we're talking about to David's like, you know, that I don't even know how you build up to this. But he literally said she would go ballistic, quote unquote, verbatim. That those are the words that came out of my brother's mouth. And um, David was still, we would say, like mentally soft. Um, you know, he was totally with it, but you wouldn't want to like fight with him or anything because you could just tell that he was just mentally soft. I don't know how to put it any other words than that, but he was on the edge, the, right? He was, yeah, he was with, he was with backing up from the edge, but he was close. Yes. Yeah. And so my dad said, well, David, like, you know, you're, you're not in any condition to go home and get into an argument with her. This is literally the words that came out just eight hours before the fire alarms went off. And so dad encouraged David to just go home, you know, have a decent evening with her. And the plan was when she left for work the next morning, David was going to pack his stuff and move home to my parents' house. His plan was he was going to detox at my parents' house, keep working on getting healthy mentally and all the things, 
And ultimately his plan was to go back to North Dakota um, as soon as he was up for it. Like that was his plan. I think he even asked his I think he even asked your parents if they would support him in that him. if he mm -hmm. got himself mm -hmm. you know yep. back to the yep. where where he was. Yep, we um uh, we we had never had any mental health crisis in our family before and so boy like the things we've learned now but until you go some through something like that you don't know like yeah, it's just it's just a lot. So it's frustrating to me how people hear that, oh, David had this mental breakdown thing. Oh, he's instantly crazy. He's instantly capable of doing it because it's like, oh, my goodness, like I maybe would have had those judgments, too, until I literally saw my brother in this state. And it's like it's so frustrating to hear people be so callous, like, oh, he was crazy. Yep, he had mental health problems, da, 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 because it's like just because someone struggles or went into psychosis doesn't make them not still mentally coherent on some levels or like, I don't know, just the disregard and blowing yeah. people up because they have mental health problems. It's yes, so there's a lot of misconception that needs to change. It's definitely something that I talk a lot about on my channel for that reason, because usually when somebody's going through psychosis or in a manic episode, they're actually not dangerous and they're not mm -hmm. looking to harm anybody or themselves. They're more confused, right? And mm -hmm. even, and I think that that's why that one situation um, in David and I'm going to say her name, Emily's home. That's his, who his wife's name was. That's mm -hmm. who, who mm -hmm. she is. Her name's Emily. In their mm -hmm. home before he went to the hospital, when it was decided that he was going to go to the hospital, your parents happened to be there and saw some really concerning behavior where David was exhibiting some confusion, some signs of psychosis, and they were wanting to help him. And she kneels down in front of him and starts slapping him in the face. This is a couple of months before his death. And this was a couple of months before this. Not not months. That was no, literally that weeks. was right before he went into the hospital. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is what they're seeing. Right. And that's not what you do in that situation. You know, like for her to to go into that with violence mm -hmm. um, when he surely wasn't showing any violent behavior, he was mm -hmm. just confused. He was in psychosis. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it is. It, and this is the way that we break the stigma and talking about those things. And so I'm really glad that I know that it's frustrating because it's, it's almost even something for me that I like to try to blow past because I don't want that to be the focus. But when you lay it all out there, mm -hmm. you're able to get a little bit more clarity on the next situation, you know? And so, um, yeah, David was able to have a coherent conversation with your parents tell them what was going on, and they saw for themselves some very concerning behavior from her. Right. Um, right in her own, her. yeah, and just so people aren't like, oh, well, this is the parents saying that, yada, yada. On one of these audio recordings, in her own words, she was smacking him across the face. Um, so she full on even admits to what was witnessed and things. And something else that was very concerning that night before they got David to the hospital was, um, she told my mom, my mom was saying how we need to be gentle and, you know, get him to the hospital. And very callously, she said, I'll just call the police and have him tasered. Think about seeing your loved one naked, confused, just 
you know, not violent freaking out or anything like that, literally just kneeling on the floor praying. And your response is you're just going to call the police and have him tasered. Wow. I never even knew that. I don't think. Yeah, there's there's a lot that we have not shared our thoughts, opinions, and experiences on because this is not a witch hunt. This isn't, I mean, there's so many things I would love to say about her that we haven't because this is simply a fight for truth. And we've always said from day one, we'll keep saying it. If David did it to himself, make it make sense. Um, and so I'm just saying that because, you know, out of the thousands and thousands and thousands of supporters, we've had nine um, pretty bad haters, I guess you would call them. And we've always been honest. But I'm glad that you said that because the most people are looking for justice, right? But, and so we see a lot of things like justice for this person, justice for that person. You guys chose that word very purposefully. You guys, Mm -hmm. the website to go to is truth for David. They're seeking Mm -hmm. truth, Mm -hmm. right? So if, if, David Elmquist did indeed light himself aflame the way Emily described, mm-hmm. and that is the truth, mm-hmm. then that's okay, right? Yep. yep. But but if it's not the truth, we want to know what the truth is. And, I, and that, I, I mean, that, that may seem like I'm parsing language, but that's extremely important, right? We're not, mm-hmm. it isn't a witch hunt. We're not going after, we're not trying to find a murderer here. We're trying to find the truth first. Amen. What and happened to I'm- David? I've put my sh- myself in Emily's shoes many times, thinking, how would I react if I was completely innocent and this family was sharing and saying all this stuff? What would I do? And my personal thoughts and opinions is I would lawyer up just for my own safety, and I would go to the family and say, you guys, this is crazy. I'm sorry you're in so much pain. I'm sorry I haven't talked to you in four years you know, but like, let's talk, let's settle this. Like, what can I answer for you? You know, um, nothing like that has ever happened. Even in the four years prior when we were private, you know, we've just been ghosted. Um, and you have, and I think that is important for people to know too, like you have tried to, um, organize many, um, respectful with like mediation meetings where they, you know, they're not going to be ganged up on her family or anything like that, where you just simply have wanted to have a conversation and that has never, um, been, um, accepted. Like they never wanted to do that. No, in 2019, I believe it was, um, I actually called Emily and left her and her parents. I called them separately just so they knew that I contacted Emily and I just told her in this voicemail that, like, I forgive you. I don't know everything that happened that night, Emily, but we've kind of figured out a lot. And I forgive you. And I will always be waiting to hear from you. And, um, I mean, I would probably show all the texts I ever sent her that were so encouraging and just, like, I don't know. But then, obviously, the more information that we found out and things, obviously, I quit Well, she blocked me about two and a half months after David died. But before that, everything was so encouraging and just me trying to be there for her. And um, and then, yeah, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here. But um, no, isn't a witch hunt. She was my friend. She literally lived in the house that I'm currently in right now, making this podcast with you guys on my farm. So, wow, it's a very weird thing, you know? 
It, it has to be. I can't imagine how you feel because you've lost David, but then in the same sense, you've also lost her, like you said, that you were close with. And you've shared with me, too, that, um, you know, Facebook memories are really hard for you because there's lots of them with her in there with your kids, you know, like she was like Aunt Emily and um, it, it's another loss for mm -hmm. you, you know? Yep. No, it's just uh, it's just an absolutely unimaginable horrible situation and um but yeah i don't know a and i will say this too as much as i will proudly stand and fight for truth for my brother until literally the day i die um i don't have any bitterness in my heart towards her which sounds totally weird <laughs> but i do believe god has given me such a, a a peace obviously i go crazy sometimes and just mourn and grieve like any normal human being would but honestly, I feel more sorrow for her. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to her. Um, but yeah, I just, I just feel more sorrow for her because all of our lives have changed forever, even hers. And um, I just wish we could have truth, peace, and resolve, whatever that means, so. You said that for a couple of months, two and a half months, you didn't see the same things that concerned your dad. And of course, Scott's not here to tell us himself, but what were some of those things that he's shared with you? At, at what point did he have concern that no, David didn't commit suicide? And what were some of those signs that I guess clued him in? Um, I would say right away, dad, um, dad knew something was very wrong right away. But at the same time, he was so, like, shocked. Like, this is the most shocking thing I have ever heard of, much less, like, this is my life. Um, but right away, Dad had concerns. He called the police, I think, on, like, David died on a Friday, I believe. He called them, like, Monday morning to be like, hey, are you going to investigate this? David said he wanted a divorce. He was planning to move home, and he's dead, like, um, and he was assured that everything was being looked into and yes, we are and, you know, whatever. So right away, dad had his concerns and things. Um, the whole week leading up to David's funeral was extremely stressful and difficult. I was still Emily's friend. Um, I actually went to the church with my husband and we met with Emily on February 14th. It was Valentine's Day and she was planning the funeral with the pastor there and I brought her flowers because it was Valentine's Day, and I just felt like you lost your husband, you lost my brother. So, I mean, that just shows how, where my heart was at on that day, you know? And, um, and yeah, it was weird because looking back, David said on the last day of his life that Emily manipula manipulates everyone. She even has Amy manipulated. And when my dad told me that right away, I was like, Dad... No, like Emily's my friend, you know, um, yada, yada. I'm a grown up. I don't get manipulated easily. You know, right. that, like right? I know what's going on. Um, and Emily kept me very close to her throughout that whole week before the funeral. I would like, I was on her side or like, I don't know how to even put this into words. You guys, it was literally the most craziest week of my life. Um, and then at the funeral, everything was fine. Um, you know, she had the nicest pictures of her and David, like, all over. 
it was a beautiful funeral for how sad and tragic it was. But then she got up and spoke um, and everything was fine until she said, life without David is going to be different, but different isn't bad. Different is just different. And it's going to take some time for us to heal, yada, yada, yada. So those are my remembrance, but I think I have that almost well, down. Sure, we saw, yeah, we watched that with we you and your family in your living room, right? and That's that was something else. It was shocking. It was very shocking. Um, I think one of the most telling moments of that funeral um, speech from her is that she could not look at David's picture beside her. She would not look at the photo of her husband. And I thought it was that like that on was an very easel, telling. a big photo right next to her, right yeah. behind her, like right next to her. And as your dad is speaking, he is looking at the prompter to make sure that the right photos are on to line up with what he's saying. He's looking at his son beside him and his and, and David's wife is mm -hmm. speaking. She's speaking fast. She's talking about already getting over him. And mm -hmm. and uh, and then at the end, she goes. I love you, toots. and then runs off you, stage or something yeah. like that. Yeah, love you, toots. Yeah, and she couldn't look his picture in the eyes, and that was so telling to me. So telling. She barely even sniffled. Like, there's no way I could have gotten through a speech like that about my husband. You would have had to drag me off of his coffin, you know, like, or take his ashes from my my talons because. You know, I, I, I just, I, I don't, like you said, I don't know her personally, but usually when you look through these situations, the natural instinct is always to try to put yourself kind of somewhere mm -hmm. there to, you know, like to em emphasize or, um, um, empathize. You know, like empathize. Sorry. There we go. Yeah. With the person. And like, <laughs> she was cold as ice, baby. That was mm -hmm. awkward. It was, that was really rough. It was to very watch. much, it was a speech about her. Yeah. And uh, and then and what David was and, for her. Yeah, it was all about her. It was completely reflective onto herself. Yeah. And then that that very last moment where she like turned. Did she use the word toots? Is that what she said? Love you, toots. Or was it she sugar? Said? Or sugar? Oh, yeah, sugar. Or sugar. Sugar. Yeah. Yeah, sugar. But she turned so quickly and then back around as if to. I guess signal to everybody that I'm looking at him, but I'm not going to look at him. Never looked you know, at him. Yeah. I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. It was, it, it was uncomfortable. Yeah. The other thing is that, like, this is such a bizarre death, right? Like, who does this to to themselves? So I'm gonna keep. You know, she's everyone is innocent until proven guilty. These are just my thoughts, feelings, and opinions. But um. There was absolutely, like when we met with her on that 14th, her mother was also there at the church. There, like, I just wanted to sit there and in shock and just be like, what happened? Like, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard of. And I, at, at that time, I was willing to accept the fact that my brother really lost it. Like, oh my gosh. But there was none of that attitude from her or her mother. They both were so matter of fact, like, yep. And I, I'm not making this up. Their attitude was literally like, yep, happens every day. Yep, it's just too bad. Totally weird. In the moment, I was I was confused, 
But in the moment, I really thought that, wow, you guys are just strong people. Like, you know, I must just be so emotional or whatever. Um, but man, just the more that we've found out, it just doesn't add up. There's just, there's best case scenario. Emily knows a whole lot more than what she's ever told us or told anyone else about what actually happened in that apartment that night, you know? And I think that that's where we, I mean, just, I think it's even frustrating for, I can't imagine how frustrating it is for you because it's frustrating for Gavin and I, that when, when we went down there, we actually spoke to a ear witness who was never questioned by the police, who is able to completely rip apart Emily's statement that there was never an argument, nothing happened, she was dead asleep, he woke up and said, get out of the house, and she tried to make him stop her, himself from, you know, pouring the oil and lighting a match and or whatever it is, because to this day, we still don't know. The lighter. Uh, the the lighter, lighter, right? But then remember, yeah. she said she doesn't, doesn't even know which kind of lighter it looks like. Like, it's, but this witness heard yelling and screaming and a big fight for over 10 to 15 minutes. Right and that's huge. Right. right before a big crash happened, which is where we think when David was actually ignited and fell back into the fridge hard mm -hmm. enough that he broke the handle off of it. He injured his head and fell to the ground. And this woman said that there was a crash so loud that she thought that whatever it was, was going to come through her floor mm -hmm. at that moment. And then the fire alarms were pulled not that long after. So the fact that she heard an argument and that's never come out of Emily's mouth, uh, it's not on any report and she's never been questioned is so infuriating. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I I have to say that experience, like um when I arrived like an hour or two before Sherilyn and uh Scott picked me up. Mm -hmm. And Scott and I went to different places. Um I think you might I think you might have a little Scotty overwhelmquist in you, Amy, because everything that I that we've talked about you like being um bold you know we told people in our last episode the story of you trying to merge you know and you roll down your window hey will you let me merge i'm out of town by the way sign the petition you know you're like <laughs> bold about that stuff right <laughs> scott and i yeah. went, went to that apartment complex and he's like yeah they told me not to come here but let's i'll show you around <laughs> get out of the car <laughs> and off we went it was amazing he's like i at this point i don't even care and uh, mm -hmm. he is the only one, he's the one who found that neighbor. The police have never spoken mm -hmm. to that neighbor. They've never, never yep. talked to her. The fire marshal didn't. Yep. The, it wasn't long. Scott went and knocked on doors. Yep. It wasn't long after David died. Um, I can't remember when, if it was a week, two weeks. Again, dad just knew something was wrong. So he went to that apartment with a friend. And they were walking around the back of the apartment because in these audio tapes, Emily says she ran around the back of the apartment. Um, and my dad and this other gentleman were looking for a lighter. You know, this was never found. Um, she she talks about this lighter. And at that time, we had not heard, you know, the so-called testimony that her mother found the lighter on the floor when she was cleaning out the apartment. So at this time, this lighter had never been accounted for. 
So my dad and a friend went there to just look, you know, in the trees. And again, it's wintertime, there's snow. So they didn't obviously find anything, but they did knock on some people's doors and ask if, you know, would you be willing to talk to us? And some people did, and that neighbor did. And my dad asked, like, has anybody been by here to, you know, ask you any questions? And nope. So. Well, and when we all went back that day, now almost five years later, um, mm -hmm. she still remembered it, the whole thing. And no, nobody's and, ever talked to me. And she repeated exactly what she told my dad to the to the T. Yeah. It was the same story because she told my dad that, oh, yeah, I heard fighting and yelling and stomping. And, you know, she said it sounded like a herd of whatever animals above she her calls head. them she calls uh she called them the giants because it sounded so loud and she had to calm her puppy down so yes. i mean these are very telling this is very detailed it's consistent four years later and she has nothing to lie about you know like this is she's a huge witness and it's it blows my mind that your dad has had to man this investigation himself. And I think one of the hardest parts of this too, um, to process is that he had to order David's autopsy photos, which is really, really what got everybody questioning things, right? I don't know if you wanna to touch on that, Amy. Yeah, that was honestly one of the craziest days ever. Um, I believe, um, when did we get those photos? It was December when I first looked at them, I think two years ago. Oh, um, wow. So it had, so it had been a couple of years. Oh, right. No, sorry. That makes sense. Cause they waited so long to release things. It was like them. 32 months of trying to get, how long was it, so it was, before it was you guys got documents months. and stuff? It was 32 months before we got the police report. Okay. <laughs> 30 over two years before we got the police report. Um, but my dad had received the autopsy photos before that. I just can't remember when. And then I didn't look at them until December. Um, but anyways, yeah, dad just knew something was wrong. And we had these thoughts and concerns just based on different audio recordings we had gotten and listened to from Emily. And we had received the apartment photos and things. So we had gotten like weird bits and pieces over those two years. Um, but really information just kept trickling in. And so when people are like, why did it take so long for you to guy for you to come forward? It you know what I mean? We it just kept developing. Um it took but you that long to yeah. Over two years to get the police reports. And before that it was a few photos of the apartment and then an audio recording. But when we saw David's wrists, it was so baffling. Like, what is this? And we had um, you know, got the autopsy report and read through that. Um, and so when we saw these marks on David's wrist, dad called the medical examiner to be like, hey, what what is this? And he said it was unburned skin. Oh, and David just must have been wearing gloves, which we know is not true. And the other thing that, you know, we're not going to share any more pictures of David's body publicly. So you got to just take our word on it, I guess. But his entire hand is burned, like skin is coming off except for right here. So he is completely scorched. Skin is coming off his hand, but his wrists are protected. And when we saw that, um, it, we really thought that that was it. Then we'd be done fighting. Sorry to get so emotional, but. Don't say sorry, Amy. 
Yeah, you know. So you, know, so you thought me. that, hey, this is proof that David was grabbing on for dear life, this. right? He he couldn't do this. The whole statement was he held a jug over his head, dumped oil on himself, and lit himself on fire. How do you spare so distinctly the insides of your wrists if if that is true? Um, so yeah, but. The medical examiner just said, oh, must have been wearing gloves, which we know is not true. And then, ironically, there is not one mention of these protected areas in the autopsy. They make special note of, you know, there was a blood pressure cuff on, there's a pulse oximeter on his index finger. He has two identifying bands on his wrist. Oh, so you're literally looking at his wrist with those identifying bands, but not one one mention. You're looking at a burn victim, and you didn't make one mention of the change of pattern of the burns. Like, it's just, and then you had two medical examiners sign off on that. So either we're talking about <laughs> extreme incompetence, or why would someone do that? You know, and again, most people would have accepted, oh, yep, this is, Slam dunk suicide. I just got to believe what they're telling me and go on with my life, right? But my dad, I I believe with every ounce of my being that everything my dad has gone through in his life up until that point was preparing my dad to not back down and to not be intimidated when you're literally just fighting for the truth. So, yeah, it's yeah. um. I don't know if it's something else. You, uh, um, I've got, I had a couple of questions I, um, from people. So one of the questions, um, on Instagram kind of leads into this and it was, what do you think happened to make those marks untouched? I don't know if you want to talk about it publicly, Amy, if you don't, that's okay. Um, we've talked about it and I don't know if maybe you want Gavin to talk about it. Cause I think we all share the same theory. So I'll let you decide how you want that to go. Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you where I, what I think. So again, this is my personal thoughts, opinions, and feelings, yeah. but based on just pouring over these photos, I believe that David was either kneeling or standing. I personally believe David was kneeling at the kitchen sink. Um, if you go in and look at those kitchen photos and then look at David's wrist, it's a it's one of those um metal over the counter sinks and if you look at david's right wrist right in the middle of the protected area there's a, a reddish line right smack dab in the middle of the protection and um i believe that david had his wrists over the sink um the dishwasher is more significantly burned than anything else in that whole kitchen. David's right side of his body is more significantly burned than his left. So when you put all this together, it seems like a very educated assumption to believe that David was, he had his wrists over the sink. Now how kneeling, you and kneeling, right? We believe that he was lower to the ground because he was very tall. And so for everything to be condensed there, the yes. flame would have ignited from his right side close to that dishwasher and burned substantially, you know, more on that right side, then blowing him back to the fridge where the neighbor would have heard 
yep. that thud. And, and that's another thing. There is a gash on the back of David's head that no one has ever told us how he got this. They just call it, I think, an abrasion or something like that in the autopsy. Um, I, it wasn't just an abrasion, though. No. It was like, a gash. A, yeah. And when you look at the photos, um, the handle of the fridge is broke off, which lines up with where we believe that we can, you know, logically prove that David was at the sink. Yeah. And if he flew back and hit his head and broke off the the fridge handle, I mean, it just makes sense. But again, this is all, this is all just assumptions from a loving family that just has been, we just need to know what happened to David, you know? Yeah. You know, something's, I, I'm, there's a memory tickling in the back of my head, Amy. Are you a nurse? I, I was, yes. Yep. Yeah, and um, you're an RN, right? Yep, I was. I haven't worked for 11 years now. Um, I stay home with my kiddos, okay. but yep, I was a registered nurse. Yeah. The, the reason that I, that I say that is, like, you do have some expertise in seeing trauma, right? Mm -hmm. You have some, oh, yeah. some history in seeing trauma. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. I've seen I mean, death. Would I've... you describe? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you describe that the gash on his head as an abrasion? Like if you were writing a report in a hospital, patient presents with an abrasion on his head. Is that how you would say that? Um, well, to be perfectly honest and transparent, because that's what I always am. I have not seen a lot of burn victims. Um, so I don't know what terminology you would use when your head is already so burned and things, you know. And I also think that his skin was very, um, when you've already been so burned, it's a fragile. normal gash or wound or whatever is going to be so much different on your skin because it's already so damaged. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think there should have been a lot more. The thing that frustrates me is you should have had like um, rulers out right next to the wrist. You should have been measuring and taking pictures of the stuff, taking a picture of the gash. Um, and none of that was done. And so it's hard to really get a sense of the size or the, the depth or whatever, because it doesn't appear that that was done very thoroughly in the autopsy, you know? Yeah. Was that's, this, uh, that's being very respectful. That is. Was that Hennepin yeah. County Medical Examiner's Office that did that? Yep. Yep. So Hennepin County, just so people, I mean, I didn't know this <laughs> before you guys explained it to me and we visited, but Hennepin County is, uh, is the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, even though David and Emily were living in Plymouth, right, which is a little, would we call that a suburb of Minneapolis, something like that. It's it's in the it's in the general area, um, and so it was a small police department that responded. It wasn't Minneapolis police or anything like that. But mm -hmm. Hennepin County has issues, has many issues with um, corruption, with transparency, with cover ups. Uh, I mean, the most famous recently, obviously, is uh, the case of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. That all happened in Hennepin County. Uh, mm -hmm. so they already don't 
I mean, it's already really hard to trust the the system in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And by the way, if I can just describe this for a second, guys, I am I was raised in the capital city of the largest state in the nation, right? Capital city of California. I I grew up in Sacramento. Okay. The level of ostentatiousness and just governmental bloat in Minneapolis, St. Paul dwarfs what you see in even wow. Sacramento, California, the largest capital in the nation, right? The Well, it's not the largest capital city, but the capital of the largest state. I, when I went downtown that first time, I'm like, what the crap is this? It's a skyscraper. It's like a freaking like European style concrete and fountain plaza. It's uh, oh, what do you call it? Like a Baroque style building off to the side. It's just freaking ostentatious and it pissed me off like the moment i went inside i was like what you people are so disconnected from anybody else who actually lives outside of the three or four blocks that your government buildings are in you're so disconnected and and so so it just it just reeked of self-importance and self-righteousness and gavin what was the quote what was the quote again on the wall when you walked right in yeah, we walk in and there are these quotes from like Eleanor Roosevelt and Martin Luther King, and it's all about justice, justice for and all. truth and yeah. equality. And was, and... You guys wouldn't wouldn't know equality if it sat on your face. It's just it's <laughs> it it really angered me. Like yeah. walking into that building, it really really angered me, and I walked straight into the Hennepin County. Uh, attorney's office i i'm ultimately i'm glad he wasn't there i'm glad nobody was there because i was angry at that moment i was i was all ready with a microphone ready to just let them have it and record what they had to say because they had they have abused the umquist family so much just by not taking them seriously it's 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 very frustrating again if nobody did anything wrong why can't why is it so hard to grant us an investigation like we have exactly. very credible questions that deserve answers that they don't seem that difficult to answer. Like there was never any type of splash expert brought in to study the oil, you know, splashes or whatever. Um, there's just so much that could be done, even just by a more thorough examination of the photos and whatnot. Um, and yeah, just what we've Listen, had to go. The the photos. Okay. For first of all, I'm sorry that you guys have to go through this. This really sucks for a lot of different reasons, right? But the Elmquists have been so brave; they've put everything public, everything that you guys have, almost everything. The autopsy photos they've held back; those kinds of things that are sensitive, which it, that's right to do. But they put it all out there, and I think there's something like a hundred and there's got to be a hundred photos of the inside of the apartment, and when you look at those photos, there there are two fires in that kitchen. There are two separate and distinct fires in that kitchen. And the fire marshal just said, oh, yeah, it started on top of the stove. Like, no, you can see what happened on the stove. It, it like, burned and went out. The, you know, and then there's, an, there's something else over on the other side of the kitchen. Just... Mm-hmm. It's so painful. It's it is that is a, yeah. It it's so infuriating. And like Amy said, when it's that 
when you have those obvious um, questions, it's not that you're going and you're nitpicking something, you know, very small that could, you know, we all grieve differently. And sometimes some family members just have a really hard time getting there and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But when it's things like this that deserve at least another look, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you know, Gavin said it, it's infuriating. It's a slap in the face and it's not justice. Like, it's mm -hmm. like, this is not justice at all. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's frustrating because if the roles were, were reversed, and it was a woman who went home and said, Daddy, I need a divorce. I'm going to move home tomorrow. Oh, and, and she had just been in the hospital for mental health. Okay, right? Because us women. <laughs> um, and she went back to her spouse and eight hours later was lit on fire. Would they yeah. be so quick to brush this under the rug as, oh, yeah, you were crazy and it's a suicide? And if you read the police reports, the investigation, it literally says the investigation is complete. The male is not suspected to survive his injuries. So they literally are saying the investigation was complete before David was even pronounced dead. Yeah. What? There's no way. Yeah, there is no, this would never, what? ever happen. And the other was one was woman. the call was for an apparent suicide. Who said well, that? Exactly. That's the another thing I'd love to point right? out. Emily actually never states that David's trying to take his life. David is trying to commit suicide. That Those words were never said. Um, you know, not that I can remember, not that I can recall. She's, she said he started a fire. He Start started a fire on the ground. And she does. So that also ties into your theory and why you go there is what oh what's on the ground you know those are her words yep. where she was not in the room allegedly for from her right. statement at all she left because he kicked her out right. and, and she didn't see anything yeah but yep. he didn't but she but he didn't lock the door because the the, the maintenance door. yeah the maintenance uh manager was able to come right in and it, it extinguish the fire and there David. are, yep, and there are like 10 to 12 different police officers that all state in their different little reports that the door was open. The door was not locked. So, yeah, we know so that many inconsistencies in her statement that just don't make sense. And it's it's. Mm -hmm. It's not right. Mm -hmm. Nope, it's. It's something. I have a I have a question um, from somebody because I, I do everybody all, always wants to know how they can help and where things are at. So I do want to get into that, but I, I'd like to finish off with that. So um, I've, I got a question from somebody on Instagram and it said, where is Emily today? This, it's a two part question. And the second part is, what did she do with the other half of David's ashes? Mm hmm. I don't know exactly what Emily is up to these days because she has blocked, you know, our entire family from everything. And I think um, so, I'm so sorry, Amy, I don't want to interrupt, but I just anybody who's not familiar with the case, I think that when you guys were blocked, that was also very telling. You were not blocked when all of this came public this year. You were blocked almost five years ago, two months after David died, when you were just mourning your brother, not accusing her at all. So I, I want everybody to know that this didn't come out of the blue. 
right. she blocked you very fast after. Yeah. And actually, I'd love to share when we got blocked because I think some of your listeners would think this is interesting because you literally can't make this up, you know? Um, so about two months after David died, she posted a picture on social media and she, it was a picture of her and David. And she said something along the lines of like life without you, David is different. Her mother went on to comment on this photo. Now keep in mind, we were all friends with one another, right? Cause we'd all grown up together. Like my mom is friends with her mom and her, and I'm friends with them. So we see all this and her mom comments on there. A very wise person once said, different isn't bad. Different is just different. So imagine my back to the funeral. Yeah, correct. Referring back to Emily's statement at the funeral. So then my mother, whose son was just burned to death, is reading this like different isn't bad. And it's like, what? This isn't a bad paint color or the wrong carpet that you picked out. Like my son was literally burned to death. And you're saying how different isn't bad. It's just different. So my mom commented back. Well, different to me is heartbreaking which I think anybody would say that that's an appropriate response, right? And we have all that screenshotted from my uncle who could not believe this. Little did we know that we would all be blocked right away after that comment. So that, that is what led her to blocking our entire family. So it's very just, you know, Amy, I've, I've reached out to Emily. Uh, I got blocked really quick. (laughs) <laughs> really quick. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I we, think we that you utilize if if she truly has nothing to hide. Um, why? Like, why would you not try to resolve this? Yeah, with us, and that yeah, should have I, happened a long time ago. Yeah. And that's my opinion too. It's, it's people's actions are very telling. Um, I think it is also telling, um, this comment, uh, the second part of this question for anybody who's not familiar with the case about the ashes, the actions that happen all that day, David's statement, um, the, the questions on the autopsy photo, then the blocking, like everything lines up to, like this doesn't make sense. This is not of. Uh, I, I'm going to be careful with my wording, but somebody who who may be withholding some information. David was left in a vault at the funeral home for 14 months. Was he not? Correct. Yep. Yep. Because we we were first told that um, the ashes were not gonna be buried right away that day because it was February and the ground was frozen and and we'll do this in the spring. So that's what they told us right away. Um, and then my mother reached out a couple of times, um, you know, wondering about these ashes or burial or whatever, um, didn't really get anywhere. And then I don't remember how exactly we came to find out. My dad somehow found out that the ashes were still at the funeral home. Again, it's a small town. I don't know how he found this out, but he did. And so then he called them to be like, well, can I come get the ashes? And he was told that no, only David's wife. And when I found this out, I was just like, like sick. Like, are you kidding me? And I feel like I've been muzzled almost for you know, up until this last year when we've finally been able to release some of this stuff. But my dad finally said, okay, fine, you can share something on 
social media. So I shared the police report. I shared, you know, I'm not going to be silent much longer on what happened to my brother and how my family's been treated. All of this leading up to his ashes being in a funeral home vault for 14 months. Um, it was still very, if you go and search for hashtag truth and justice for David Scott Elmquist, you can go find my Facebook profile where I've made all that public. And from day one, I've been trying to share what we know, but I couldn't say anything specific. But our our story and our questions have never changed from right away, you know. And anyways, when I made that Facebook post, I got overwhelming support. And the next morning, Emily ran to the funeral home, got the ashes, gave half to the pastor of my church that I grew up going to as a child. And that pastor is the one who brought over to my parents' house half of David's ashes the next day because of a Facebook post. And we were got caught and had to go and grab them. And we were told that, um, I can't, I think it was the, I don't remember who said this, but we were told that she seems scared, whatever that means. Um, but yeah, so David's ashes were left in a funeral home vault for 14 months. And that just made me sick. Like <laughs> we wanted them. And so yeah. he dies in this horrible way. <laughs> you know, he's left alone for 38 minutes and then he's left alone for 14 months. It's just horrible. <laughs> oh, he, he died alone. That's another horrific thing. That, just... uh, that is another thing. He died alone. He, um, your parents were sh- assured and i guess they didn't even need to be assured you would just probably assume in that moment at the hospital while he's in his final moments that um his wife is going to stay because your dad was so so distraught his heart was shattered that he could not compose himself he couldn't stop like screaming in agony and and knew that it was the best thing for him to say goodbye leave and have you know uh David, you know, have a peace, peaceful moment in those last moments and that Emily was going to be there to hold his hand and strangers right. were. She left after your parents left. Yeah. Or she was in the hallway or whatever happened. I, I don't know. I do know that David died alone with the nurse and with the chaplain, I think, was in there with David. Um, but to this day, like, that's something hard for us to talk about because David would have had a room just full of people with him when he passed um and part of me gets so frustrated and honestly i can't believe it's been five years i've wanted to write that hospital a letter and i just haven't because it's the energy that all this takes it's just so draining um what do you want to say oh it makes me so mad that this horrific scene is taking place okay this man was burned allegedly suicide right You have the parents come, the father is wailing inconsolable, needs to be in a different room because of the shock and the trauma, excuse me, the the shock and the trauma of what is happening. There should have been a time out. There was no, like my brother was in on fire at about 10.50 p.m. and he was pronounced dead at three o'clock because they took out the breathing tube and pumped him full of drugs and you know that's how david died so four hours (laughs) there was no reason for that to be so fast there should have been a time out the doctor should have said clearly you are so traumatized right now go home get some family come tomorrow and we can take david off of the breathing tube um 
So that's another thing. But then I go back. Do you and think forth. that they would have been able to keep him comfortable for that long, like sedated and not in pain for that long? Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And again, if David was going to die, he was going to die. You know, like, of course, they can keep him in a coma if they want to and whatever. But uh, so that just frustrates me that that didn't happen. But then again, I go back and forth from a medical standpoint, you know, I, I don't know if a doctor would vocally admit this, but if you have a patient on your bed that allegedly tried to commit suicide by burning themselves and they're in this rough of shape, it is kinder to let them go than to fight crazy to keep them alive, you know? So I don't know, but man, um, knowing what we know now, I think, you know, after David had died, um, there was some audio recording that we listened to where Emily says that, oh, and if he survived, it, there was like a, a 5% chance of survival. And if he survived, it'd be years and years of surgeries and things. We hadn't heard any of that. Like, it just makes you wonder. Um, but obviously, we can't go there because that doesn't do any good. But um there's just so many things that went wrong with David's death. It just is mind blowing. So that's just another one. I wish the doctors would have said time out. I would have flown home and been there as as I could. I have one more question and I might be dropping a bomb here and putting you on the spot, Amy. You don't have to answer it. We can take it out. Um, I, I just want to talk about one thing that's never been released for the public, but I think that it's important for you to get these things off of your chest, share these things, and just keep showing that there are even more things that the public doesn't know, um, even though we all feel it, right? But can you talk about what happened? Um, you said you don't know where Emily is at today. You do know some of the things that she has been up to, though, and I'm wondering if you want to talk about that. Yeah, um, so I don't know a lot. Um, but this is all public information that she was remarried October something of 2020. Um, she used the same photographer that did David and her's wedding, did this new husband's wedding. Um, and that was public on Facebook that someone sent me a picture like, oh my gosh, check this out. And I've kept that silent for how many years? It was very different ceremony than what she did because she wanted the landmark center. She wanted this really big. Yep. Elaborate. Kind of elaborate thing, right? Yep. With David. Yeah. Yep. And then this other wedding was, um, um, it was more of an outdoor. Um, I think the word elopement was used in the description of the public photo. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so she remarried, she remarried this guy. When you go to David and Emily's, the not like wedding public registry thing, it's still out there, or at least it was, I haven't looked for a long time. And the only reason I found this, um, was because I was searching for this is just silly. I literally have just poured over every photo and everything, whatever. But I was trying to find um, the knife block that is in the photo of the kitchen. I was wondering if that was a, a gift that was given to them on their wedding. And I don't know why I went down this rabbit hole, but I went to their wedding registry. And when I clicked on it, 
And then I clicked on their target registry. Her new husband's name shows up. It says Emily and da da da, their wedding date. And I just couldn't. And they read. share, yeah, they, so it shares the same uh, URL basically yeah. as, it, as hers and David's. Yeah, it's super weird. So, anyways, that's how I found out that she was remarried. Um, and then um, I don't know anything else. Other than that, and then when we went public with David's story, um, we have a couple people that just scour the internet for anything public that they can find. And someone sent me um, an email with legal public records of a divorce. And it's it's public knowledge. And again, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful here. I'm not saying this gentleman's name or anything, but he, legally separated from her about six weeks after we went public with David's story and their divorce was finalized um, in June of this past summer. So we went public in January um, and what, six months later, they're divorced. So again, that could be many different reasons for that. So mm -hmm. but yeah, that's just a lot of, questions and things it just doesn't make sense yeah it doesn't and so where are we at um where are we at today everybody asks me all the time what's changed yeah um you know i think from my family's perspective we do believe that someday we're gonna get truth and justice for David. We're never gonna go anywhere. Um, obviously, all the information is out there. So it's very hard, like we're not social media experts. So it's very hard to keep coming up with information to keep our our audiences growing or intrigued or whatever, but everything's out there. Your guys's YouTubes and things are out there. Gavin's page is there, all the photos, all the audios, like it's all out there. And I feel the only way we're yeah, ever- Yeah, if you wanna see it, real, sorry to cut you off there, Amy. I'll, I'll let you keep going. But it, for our viewers and listeners, if you want to see everything on this case, pretty much everything except the autopsy photos, but the crime scene photos, recordings of interviews that Emily did, um, documents, the police reports there. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of files. You can just go to GavinFish.com. You can see it all. Um, and I feel like so back to but, what I was saying. Um, I feel like the only way we're going to get David's story out there, it just needs to become a national story. And that's the only way we're going to get people to care is just by continuing to draw attention to this. We do have um, a few podcasters that want to interview my dad again and have questions on follow-up, things like that. We've heard that some wonderful people are working on a documentary that is hopefully going to be produced for the masses someday. Um, so there's a lot of things in the works and time, it, it doesn't really matter, you know, like truth is truth and, and David's story will be told to the masses eventually, but the Lord is just teaching us patience and perseverance and um, to not lose hope during all this stuff. So we just, Amy, I have a a really crazy question for you it might yeah. be really hard for you to answer let's say okay so now this is this is like all out there you know there you're not going anywhere um that's very obvious and and 
I'm, I would be in the same boat. And I, and I've said the same to you. Like you're my sister for life. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm not somebody that you, you don't want to have me on that side. Cause I don't stop, you know? Mm -hmm. So Gavin's the same, he's not going anywhere. And, um, and so we know like how big this will continue to get. That being said, if anybody from that camp, you know, Emily's uh, camp, their side family, friends, were to ever come across this and say, hey, you know, are you willing to have a conversation? And she was willing to have a conversation with you and lay it all out there and be like, listen, I want to talk. This is mm -hmm. what happened. Um, would you be open to that or is it too little too late? I think I would absolutely, like, absolutely I'd meet with her. I think I'd be very guarded in what I have to say. It's more like I've heard so much. She said so much. I've seen the photos. Things just don't make sense. But I genuinely just want the truth, you know? Okay. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to throw this dynamic in there, um, we are very devout Christian people, you know, and um, they went to the church that we went to. And so this is just a mess. And yet it's frustrating as people who profess to believe in Jesus, why there can't be any resolution. If nobody did anything wrong, why can't there be any type of resolution? Um, you know, it's it's just a very horribly sad situation on all accounts. And again, I, I do put myself in her shoes. Um, but I just think after all these years, like, why did you block us? Why did you just, if you were so confident to move on with your life and get remarried, why just leave us in the dust? Like, I can't imagine being married to someone who died in such a horrific manner and then just like cut the family off and move on with my life. Like if that family needs to grovel and cry and, and kick a dead horse, excuse my language for a while, you do that. Like she said so many times, Oh, David is my husband. David is my husband. Da, da, da. Sure. But he was our brother and our son and our uncle and our friend for 23 years before you were married to him. Um, so I just, you know, obviously she's innocent, you know, until proven guilty or whatever. Um, but if you're so innocent, why is it so difficult for you to meet us halfway with our grief and our questions? Why doesn't she care that the police didn't go in for 38 minutes? That's your husband. And the other thing yeah. that I put myself in her shoes, again, Let's say David truly did this to himself, right? I would be running around screaming like a lunatic. He's crazy. He doesn't know what he's doing. Help him, right? Like, it's so frustrating knowing that that fire extinguisher was right outside their door. Like, their apartment was the one right next to it. And um, there's yeah. just no way if I had been there. I, I wouldn't let a stranger die in that manner, you know? Much less my brother or my husband or whatever. Um, yeah. No, and I know I have friends that like, I have one friend that's coming to my mind that, I mean, he's in his fifties now. And when he was in his young twenties, he was engaged to be married. And a couple of weeks before they were married, she, she died. Right. Um, 
He is in constant contact with his would have been in-laws and has been for 30 years. It's uh-huh. like, it, and that's just the natural, that's the way it would be. Like if, um, I've got a, I've got a former sister-in-law who, uh, she no longer is married to my brother, but I love her. She's the best, right? Mm-hmm. She's a part of my family and always will be. That's, it, it, it would be natural for her, even in some like kind of strange circumstance, like, yeah, this David took his life by lighting himself on fire. I think that would almost bond the families together in your grief, right? For, for decades to come, that, Mm -hmm. that would be something that would cause you to come together. Not something that would, that would rip you apart. It's just, it's just weird. And then the other thing I've thought about is like when, when suicide hits a family, it changes the family, man. So mm-hmm. you'd expect to see people start to become almost activist about, about you know, suicide. if my wife took her own life, mm-hmm. that would be life altering for me. And it would be something that I don't want any other husband to, or father or children to go through. And that would become almost a, a, a mission for me in my life and mm-hmm. for and I think that's just what a normal reaction would be, right? I mean, well, in her defense, would, I, I'm always going to play devil's advocate. I'm always going to be honest. And like, yeah. in her defense, she did a NAMI, N A M I, walk for mental health. Okay. And she had these little bracelets made for David, mental health matters. Mm. However, what people don't know behind this, or right, that are out there, is that literally happened within days or weeks of something that my dad had found out or like was in contact with the police about or something like, I don't know. It was very timely. Um, So she did do that. She does claim, you know, she claims to be a mental health, very passionate about that. If you listen to her, her audio recording, she's very passionate about mental health. Okay. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's well. I think people would react at different levels. Like you know, you know, th- in those audio recordings, there's there's like a moment where she finds out, hey, we have been talking with David's parents. Oh, you've been talking to David's parents. Oh, I can just almost, I, I could almost, yeah, I could see her go. Okay, well then, I need to do something to make them feel better. I will go and do a march and make bracelets for mental health. Mm-hmm. I can see. I, I'm not saying that did happen. I just see that kind right. of reaction because. But if it were sincere and everybody would do it to a different level, right. you know, we, we've had suicide in, in my family. My uncle took his own life. Yep. Um, and it's not like my dad became an activist for, you know, mental health and suicide protect, prevention or anything. However, in his writings and in his sharing with people, you know, in, in his daily life, that comes up frequently. Right. You know, that, that his brother took his own life. And right. I, I don't see any of that from Emily. Right. The other thing is when you have nothing to hide, like you when you have nothing to hide, you don't mind talking about all the things. That's why we've never shied away from talking about David's mental health. We've never shied away talking about like anything. Like we've bared it all out there for the world. Like what family wants to do that? But we have nothing to hide. And um, I don't know, when you go through this horrible stuff, again, if David had committed suicide and taken his life, 
and that actually made sense with the photos and the reports and everything, we would absolutely accept that. Absolutely. But you're talking about you're talking about mental health, something that is so important that people, in my opinion, they are so eager to make David's death go away because it's so hard and it's so ugly. And, and you know, the police, frankly, I, I just don't think, I don't know. I think when David came out like that, they were just so horrified. They would rather just this go away, in my opinion, than take any responsibility for any bad calls that they may or may not have made that night. Um, but anyways, yeah, when you go through stuff like this or suicide or whatever, you're not afraid to have these hard conversations. So when people are quiet or they avoid things, it makes you wonder why. Like, why is it so hard for you to be like, holy cow, David's death is the most horrific thing I've ever heard of in my life, you know? It is. Why can't, why? I don't know. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're onto something there. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty sick way when you think about how David died. I think that it's very easy to just um, think about the night David died, you know, and I said this to Gavin before, but when you actually think about the fact that David was literally lit on fire, like think about this. And then he was extinguished and then he fumbled around in there, sat on stuff for 39 minutes, bleeding, burned, it's just the most gruesome, sad thing you've ever, ever heard of. Literally leaving bits of himself everywhere he walked. Mm -hmm. Like he was, he was in, I mean, I can't even imagine. I can't mm -hmm. even imagine. That, mm -hmm. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Although, from a nurse perspective, once you're burned that bad, his nerve endings were gone. <laughs> so there is a point where you might not well, that, that, that feel some well, of that, that is a that's a that's a little grace right there right it's like a little i guess yeah. silver lining that in the end there maybe he didn't have to feel it but the confusion and the you know and the wandering and wondering you showed us that little picture near the dog crate right and imagining was he concerned about his dog and, you know, it's stuff like that. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just sad. That's another, that's another weird indiscrepancy. Um, again, this is all my thoughts, opinions, feelings, and beliefs. When I talked to Emily on February 14th, I specifically asked her, where was Mosley when all this happened? That was their golden retriever, mainly David's dog. David's the one who loved that thing and wanted him and whatnot. She looked me dead in the eyes, and my husband heard this as well. And she said, oh, Mosley was with David when he was on fire. Yeah, Mosley's pretty shook up. Okay? okay. The next time the dog is ever talked about or whatever, she's calling him, and they're running down the hallway and whatever. And I don't know what that means, but it's weird. Because she said that, that she was able she's to grab him and story. get him. And her story changes all the time. Yeah, but they would argue that, you know, my husband and I are making that up because we have no proof that that was said, you know, so it's just whatever. But the, here's the thing that gives me the ultimate peace. God knows all the things like you can't hide from God and he knows everything that happened that night between them. And so I guess 
because of my personal faith, that's what gives me peace at night. And a prayer that I pray on the daily is like, Lord, please just help us get some answers here. But if she is guilty, if she did something, drive her crazy, like take my anxiety, take my anger, take my sorrow and just drive her insane with your Holy Spirit. And um, so that's just my prayer. That gives me peace. You know, I hope that Emily watches this stuff and sees my face and like, I forgive you, Emily, for whatever happened that night. Um, But I want to know what happened to my brother. And yeah, I just, I don't know what happened. And that's just so frustrating, but God does. And so, you know, and the other thing I guess that's so comforting is the 40, it's almost 41,000 people agree. These are some serious questions. They've signed our petition. They support us. And and that is so comforting because for so long, we were just alone with our thoughts and concerns and beliefs and feelings. And it's like, okay, we're not alone anymore. So even that in and of itself, um, just the tell overwhelming. Us, tell our listeners and our viewers what the, uh, what the petition is. What is it that you're yep. looking for? Yep. If you go to change.org, forward slash truth for David, you can read all about our petition that we have almost 41,000 signatures on. All we want is an independent investigation into David's death from somebody outside of Hennepin County. That's all we want. We are not demanding that people quit their jobs, get fired, resign, or that, you know, we're not saying Emily killed David and we want her thrown in prison. No, All we are asking for is a fair, thorough, and honest investigation into David's death because, again, it was closed before he was even pronounced dead. And this is an unprecedented in Hennepin County. They they will do outside investigators. I mean, we saw that in George Floyd, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, Keith Ellison. So you're just looking for. And truthfully, I remember when George. Say that again. I didn't quite hear that. Oh, Keith Ellison, the Minnesota. Um, District Attorney Keith Ellison, he granted that for the George Floyd case, gave them a outside investigation. But this is a question my dad has posed. Is that what we need to do? Do we need to riot and like burn down cities for people to care about David? Like, it seems so messed up. So for, for four years, my dad, you know, Submitted all the emails, talked to people, met with people, did all this stuff privately, hoping that some good would come from just doing things the right way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's for us, like justice, truth and justice shouldn't be like this. And here's another thing about these cops. Like we support cops, you know, but people make mistakes. Anybody can make a mistake. Whoever made that call to tell the firemen to stand down and not go help David, that was a mistake. Like, we get it. We forgive you, but you need to own up to your mistakes. Right. And, you know, all these medical examiners that said nothing about David's wrists and just blow that off too. Like, you need, that's your you job. You need to make it right. Yeah. And and that's the thing too, is, is there's, there is human error, right? Like that, of course you don't want to see it at, that often right. in, in these types of situations when you've got like, you know, these types of decisions on the line, but it, um, 
yes, it needs to be addressed and people's pride needs to be put aside. I mean, um, that's like um, Amanda Winkowski's family, Gavin, is what it reminds me of, you know, like it's it's so clear that there is, um, I don't know, the uh, questions in the, in the medical report and they do not want to change it. And so if that's the case, there needs to be something in place where it's not this hard to override that and have somebody independent come and and, and take a look. That should just be something accessible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it's like, like um, in the state of California and other states, they have uh, a system where if the legislature isn't getting, isn't doing the will of the people, then they can vote on, and I'm blanking on the name right now, but they can vote directly on different things during, I can't remember what it's called, but you can, um, they, they put it, they, they can put things on the ballot if they reach a certain number of people mm -hmm. to sign a petition, they'll put things on a ballot, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that has helped California. I mean, it's not perfect, but it has helped in California to, um, for the the will of the people to to be done maybe that's something that could happen in law enforcement it's like okay wait a minute no you guys yeah. you're right <laughs> okay we're, we're going to we're going to go through the process of making you do what it is that we want you to do right um, and another a ballot initiative <laughs> the initiative right process yeah another thing with david's case that was so frustrating is my dad actually called the BCA, the Bureau of Crime Administration of Minnesota or whatever, okay? So they would be above the Hennepin County thing. Mm -hmm. And he talked to someone who was more than willing to go down to Hennepin County with our questions and concerns that we had and investigate. When the Hennepin County and the Plymouth Police Department, I don't remember which one or whatever, right? This is just to the best of my recollection, but heard about this. They told them no. So someone at the Plymouth Police or the Hennepin County, whichever one it was, their boss knows someone at the BCA and basically said, we've done everything right here. This isn't necessary. You don't need to come down and investigate. Nothing to see here. <sighs> Which yeah. is so frustrating because it and, and brings it back to the, if you have nothing to hide, you should be comfortable and confident in your your investigation as many times as you need to talk about it. This is, this is why. Yeah. Come on down. My dad um, emailed just, I don't know how long ago he emailed the medical examiners to say, could you please give me a letter and explain to me why David's death was deemed a suicide? Because one, you know, how, why are you deeming this a suicide? Which obviously I don't know. It's just. So I've learned a little bit about that since you and I last talked, since we all last talked. Um, I had a conversation with Kenny Clark, my friend who's a pathologist. He's been on my channel a couple times. And uh, and this came up because the Ellen Greenberg case uh, in a deposition with the medical examiner there, the attorney asked him what percentage of the autopsy report comes from your examination of the decedent and what percentage comes from the investigation at the scene. And he said, well, the autopsy report, all of it comes from 
my investi or my examination of the decedent, but my opinion mostly comes from the investigation at the scene. Mm-hmm. And so I asked Kenny that I was like, is that true? And he said, yeah, I've described that. I'd say 95% of the autopsy report comes from the examination from the actual autopsy, but the opinion 95% of it mm-hmm. comes from the scene. So who was it that was there in some places like in Philadelphia, the medical examiner's office has an investigator that goes to the scene. They do the investigation. The medical examiner's office does in some jurisdictions like mine, there's a coroner system, right? So the coroner, the deputy coroner will go out to the scene. They will do an investigation. And then they, if an autopsy is called for by that coroner, they will give that a report of that investigation to the medical examiner who then will do the autopsy, write the opinion, mostly based on the coroner's investigation, right? Mm -hmm. So, and this is universal throughout the states. So Mm -hmm. the medical examiner who wrote that David's death was a suicide, that opinion mostly comes probably from the Plymouth PD, because Mm -hmm. based on the documents that we have, the medical examiner's office didn't go there. Right. It was all the Plymouth PD. Yep, that's what I was going to say. And actually, even the... The state fire marshal's report, the very first one that he wrote, said that David used cooking oil and the stovetop right. as the ignition. Like, literally. Even there, and was, yeah. And then when my dad got that one, he was like, cooking oil? Like, what? Um, and so he contacted contacted him and said it wasn't cooking oil we all know it was balking crude oil like i and my husband smelled emily's hair it still smelled like oil at the on february 14th um all those photos it's clearly his souvenir balking crude oil and um to my recollection that state fire marshal said oh well i just wrote down what the police told me and then he went and did his own little investigative thing and wrote a report that oh yeah it actually was bach and crude oil and i think to this day in the reports they state that the fire um was caused from a wick that david somehow wicked a towel or something on fire and then wicked himself on fire so to this day that's how they want us to believe that this happened and then it also says within a scientific degree of certainty i'm not a scientist but when you look at the stovetop pictures when you look at that whole kitchen if david was on fire in that kitchen all that oil that's all over the floor and all over the stovetop and that jug would have gone up would have been burned yeah you would there were two separate lower from all the oil on the ground that would have burned, you would have seen scorch marks, just like you see on the stovetop where there is a little bit of that scorched um, black stuff on the wall. Mm-hmm. But again, what do we know, right? I'll, We're supposed to just- I'll believe. say out loud what I think happened. I'll, I'll totally say out loud what I think happened. Okay. Like th- this is what these images showed me, okay? Here's what happened. Viewers and listeners go to the website and look at these photos, okay? There, there are two important photos to me. Like the, all of them are important. Two of them stand out. Number one, and I think Amy, you pointed out this to me. There is a bench in the entryway on the other side of the wall from the kitchen 
tucked up against that wall that has a burn mark on the edge of that bench, the little mm-hmm. wooden bench. And there are no other burn marks around it. It mm-hmm. is that leg is like it just magically burned that little spot without putting any soot or any evidence anywhere else near it, right? Mm-hmm. Specifically, specifically, the wall right behind the leg is stark white. It's a sheetrock wall. It's white. Yep. Yeah. Stark white. Yeah. One of one of the Bright nine haters actually commented on that bench photo and said, "Who cares." I care. That is freaking evidence, right? And like, then the second one is my brother who is lit on fire. That's weird. What does it mean? You know? Yeah. Well, it's important to me. The other image is a picture from the dining area looking down the galley kitchen so that you've got the sink and the dishwasher on the left side. You've got the stove, the fridge on the yep. right side. Above the or let's start on the left side. There is evidence of a hot fire by the sink slash dishwasher on the like closer to the dishwasher, a mm-hmm. hot fire it melts the dishwasher. Right. Mm-hmm. And then on the uh, on the left or I'm look, on the right side, <laughs> on the other side, on the opposite side, there is a smoky, sooty um, mess above the oven, above the stove, like the range. But there's no like damage to the range. It's dirty, but it's not like damaged, like over there next to the dishwasher. And that is smoking city. So this is what I think. Emily is a little girl. She, like she's not a little girl, but she's a short woman, right? Mm-hmm. She's a small woman. And David was a tall man. I think my opinion <laughs> allegedly that that's that's bench that stool was pulled was pulled over was poured over david david was lit on fire and then it was one of those oh crap moments what did i just do this what do i do right and i think she put the bench back i think she went and gathered her stuff grabbed mosley and then put something on the stove, lit the stove on fire, and that started the second fire as she beat feet out of there. That's what I think happened. That's what the, that's what the evidence looks like to me. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, in my opinion, everybody's innocent until proven guilty. Yada, protective yada. language, protective language. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's very hard for me to to wrap my brain around this girl that I genuinely cared for who babysat my children and lived in my house. And um, it's very difficult to picture that happening as much as I also believe that's what happened, but it's so, it's so hard, but I will, I will always give her the benefit of the doubt. Let's just say that your theory is true, Gavin. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt that she didn't mean to kill my brother or even light him on fire. Like I'll give her that benefit of the doubt that this is some weird freak accident in the heat of passion. Yeah. But then I agree. Yep. Because I don't believe she planned to do this, but I think that if you're planning to kill somebody, you don't light them on fire. Come on. That is a passion in an apartment complex. Yeah. No, it was yeah, clear so that I'm there was an that. altercation there. It was clear there was an altercation. This was the heat mm-hmm. of the pa- of passion. David's wedding ring was on his nightstand. Obviously, a conversation oh. had come through um, about That's the- another 
Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I got to point that out because in one of your um, audio recordings, she states this weird story of going out to the truck to get his wedding band because he took it off and forgot it in the truck. It's just weird. Like, yeah. why would you even remember this or yeah. talk about this the night your husband died? If it she was, was so- trying to cover questions and didn't do a very good job about it. I don't know. That's uh this, this is a case, everybody. This is a case that should enrage everybody. It just, mm-hmm. it's, um, this is I your mean, everyday all American, you know, well, well put together off family. You know, you guys are an every, everyday loving normal? family. Well, and I think, I think Amy, you told me one time, maybe the very first time we talked, and I think you even reiterated a couple times, including when we were in Minnesota with you guys, but, um, David was a happy-go-lucky, successful, hardworking, normal, everyday, successful slash failure of a normal human being for his mm-hmm. entire life. Mm-hmm. Eight months after he married Emily Manninen, he was burned to death. It's oh. just And experienced weird. his first bout of psychosis ever. Technically, it was yeah. 11 months after they were married. 11 months. 11 yeah. months. Because less than a year. Let's say less than a year. And he only lived with her from the end, very end of July to February. Yeah. Right. Six months. Um, Yeah, it's, there's a lot of really weird things. Like, let's talk statistics. So statistically, my brother had a mental breakdown living with someone who works in the mental health field, okay, has been trained to de-escalate the situations with the mentally ill. So David has his first breakdown. She's not the one that sees these concerns. She's living with him. She doesn't see these bizarre behavior patterns or whatever. She doesn't get him to the hospital. My parents do. Not only does she miss every opportunity to get him help for his mental health issues, right? David dies in the most, most horrific and bizarre way I've ever heard of. Like, statistically eight hours after telling my parents she'd go ballistic. So what are the odds that David had his very first violent or suicidal psychotic break? Because as noted in his mental health records, he was never a threat. He was never suicidal. He was never violent. Never. So statistically, I want, I'm not, I don't know. I want to know the odds. Yeah. And you can read his own words, what he said in court, because he was, he was put in a hospital for his mental health and there was a hearing to figure out if he was safe to come home. Right. Everybody wanted him to come home. Right. Yep. 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 Looking back on it, probably, probably it definitely would have been better for him not to come home. Absolutely. But that's, that's hindsight, right? You can't see that in the moment, but if you read the hearing transcripts, you can, you can, well, you can't actually listen to it a bit. I mean, my head as I'm reading it, I'm listening to his voice say, yeah, I want to, I want to go to work and I want to get back to normal life. And, and I'm not, uh, I don't, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he, he expressed that, no, I'm not, I don't have, I'm, I'm not a danger to my wife. I'm not a danger to myself. Emily even said that not afraid of them. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, and just so everyone knows, cause we're so transparent with everything. We all believed that David had gone into psychosis from smoking marijuana. We 
This was something he did recreationally. Um, and so nobody knew what happened to him that led to his break into psychosis. And so I literally even told him like, David, your sin will find you out, like knock it off little brother. <laughs> um, but looking back, I think that David is responsible for his bout into psychosis. I We do know that like when he came back to Minnesota, um, that he was drinking heavy, smoking weed, going to work, drinking energy drinks, not sleeping in a very tumultuous marriage, very toxic, stressful. Um, so you put all of that together and what a chemical, excuse my language, but shit show <laughs> for any human brain. Like, I don't think that there's enough education on like our brains and how important they are and how when you are not sleeping and you're under stress and you're putting these substances in to bring you down and pull you up. And um, I, I believe in my heart that that is what caused David's psychosis. And I also fully believe that David would have made a complete recovery. Um, one doctor said that, you know, if this is marijuana induced psychosis, it can take 30 days for your brain to completely come back to normal, but I, I don't know, but we'll never know all of that stuff. But, um, but yeah, so at that time, well, he was a young man wanted... too. That, that's the other thing oh, as a young person where he's, you know, he was self-medicating, he was drinking a lot, he was smoking a lot of weed. He had this tumultuous marriage. Th those were probably the tools that he had at his disposal to deal with the stress and the the difficulty that was happening in life. He wasn't like, I think of myself at that age. What was he? 23. Is that what he was? 24. Mm -hmm. 24. Oh, mm -hmm. I was, I was complete. I was a complete idiot at 24. I couldn't mm -hmm. handle that stuff. If it, if it happened to me at 24 at 47, mm -hmm. I'd have a hard time. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. just, Yep, David. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't equipped to deal with her though either. I don't think that he had ever come into contact with somebody that manipulative in his life. And he saw it. He said that to your family. Yeah, I think see that's the that's the key right there. He finally like people are like, "Well, why didn't he leave sooner?" Like until you're in one of these really weird relationships where abusive. Yeah. I'll say it, Amy. It was abusive. She was abusive. Yep. yep. Emotionally, physically, like it I do wonder what David lived with behind closed doors based on what was witnessed, what in the world happened. And David was such a, I'm a very strong, opinionated, outspoken person. David was so chill, go with the flow, hated confrontation. You know, he would drink beer and be like, just run your mouth lady because whatever. Um, so yeah, it just, so many facets to what happened to David and um, yeah, just, it's so heartbreaking. So, yes. yeah. So everybody can, um, you guys aren't going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. I know you have a, an mm -hmm. army behind you. And so um, if you're not following already, uh, follow, we'll have all of um, Amy's social medias for uh, David linked in the description of this video and podcast episode as well as um the petition if you haven't gone to sign it please yeah. please go and do so and like amy said keep um keep your eyes and ears open to some things that uh potentially people may be announcing soon and need some help with uh yeah. to get off the ground so 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Is there Can anything I just, else you want to say, Amy? Yeah. I'm dying to just thank everyone because Gavin, Sherilyn, you guys are truly just such angels and have done so much to help my family get David's story out to the masses because that's the only way anyone is ever going to care. So just can't thank you guys enough. And to every person that's listening or um, whatever, every time that you share or comment or what anything, it helps keep David's story alive. And so while our social media pages really have gone quiet, we're so emotionally it's it's very hard to put this stuff out there and to keep reliving it all the time while trying to live normal life. Um, and again, we're right. not experts in any of this stuff, but please don't think because we're not active on the pages that we're not still caring and active. So keep sharing, keep liking, keep tagging other people to cover the story because that's that's just what we need. So. But yeah, the support's been overwhelming, and we just thank you. And again, everyone has very strong thoughts and opinions, and it seems pretty obvious what happened the night that David died. But again, all we want is a fair, thorough, honest investigation into David's death. And that's our prayer, just that the the light would shine on truth, and that's all my family wants. So thank you for caring about David and for our family. We love you so much. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for coming on. Yeah.